Let's pray for our time together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the truth of your word, for the examples that it gives for wise living in Christ. Help us in this age to be united in Christ, to run our race well, and to live and purpose to do the will of the good name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the time in your word. We ask that it would change our lives to live for you. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. After consulting with the elders yesterday morning, I decided to bump our final message on 1 Peter to next Sunday. The events of this past week involving police officers and citizens in Baton Rouge, Minneapolis, and Dallas present an important challenge to us as the people of God. That's what I want to address this morning. This will be the least rehearsed message you've heard from me. Hopefully I will remain conscious while I deliver it because there hadn't been a lot of sleep. But I've given quite a lot of thought over a long period of time to the principles, to the issues that I'm about to be uh, talking about. Uh, So this isn't exactly off the top of my head. The first thing I want to say, to use my brother Bob's words, is that this is not a red or blue issue. This is not fundamentally about politics. It's not a political problem, and it won't be solved in the political arena. It is a spiritual problem, as my brother Jeff pointed out this morning. As my brother Jeff pointed out this morning, the issues with which we do battle are internal, not external. In his 1963 commencement speech at American University in Washington, D.C., President John F. Kennedy's topic was the pursuit of world peace. At the beginning of his address to the graduates that day, He made a statement that has been echoed many times by many leaders of many different political ideologies. He said, Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man. And man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. His first assertion in that statement was correct, and the second was as wrong as wrong gets. It was catastrophically wrong. Our problems are indeed man-made. But our problems cannot and certainly will not be resolved by man. Even as President Kennedy was delivering that address, even as President Kennedy was delivering that address, America was already becoming entangled in a conflict in Vietnam that would turn into a protracted war which would claim 58,000 American lives. Six months after he made that statement in that speech, he was assassinated in downtown Dallas, just blocks from where five Dallas policemen were assassinated Thursday night of this week. 
There are 53 years between those two events. How would you say mankind has been doing at solving the problem of mortal conflict between human beings? As long as man is at enmity with God, man will be at enmity with the image bearers of God. The only one who can fix either of those conflicts is God. And everything that was necessary to fix both of those conflicts was fully accomplished at the cross of Jesus Christ. The solution to the unjust treatment of men by men is the person and completed work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That, beloved, is the only solution. If we as the redeemed of God are not proclaiming Christ as the only solution, we are failing in our God-given assignment. We are distracted. We are missing the mark. Before I talk further about that assignment, I need to get another thing out on the table. We as Christians do not represent Jesus Christ well if we ignore injustice on one side of a conflict and decry injustice on the other side. All of the law enforcement officers that I've personally known in my life, starting with my great uncle Lynn, who taught me how to shoot, he was a Harris County deputy sheriff for more than three decades. All of the law enforcement officers I've known since I was a kid, personally, have been people of integrity, doing their best every day to protect and serve the citizens in their communities. My heart aches for the families of the five officers who were killed Thursday night in downtown Dallas. The irony of what happened that night is profound. Dallas policemen were protecting the right of American citizens citizens to peacefully protest police abuse. And that protest proceeded without incident until five officers were assassinated and seven wounded in a process in the process of protecting that right. And of course two two civilians were also wounded. But if our outrage over that terrible injustice makes us blind to the long history of injustices that prompted that evening's protest, we will not be representing Christ well. I watched the videos of the police shooting that occurred in Baton Rouge last Tuesday and the aftermath of the police shooting in Minneapolis last Wednesday. And I was horrified by the images that I saw just as everyone else was. But those videos left many critical questions unanswered. I'm praying that God will bring about just outcomes in both of those cases. But regardless of the outcomes, we cannot and must not dismiss as unfounded the long-standing fear that many African Americans have of unjust treatment by police. I watched an interview Friday evening of Tim Scott the very poised, very articulate, black, conservative, Republican U.S. Senator from South Carolina. He said that he was pulled over by police seven times in one year after becoming an elected official, even though he had not violated in any of those cases any traffic laws and never had so much as a burned-out taillight on his car. 
I have been driving for 45 years. You know how many times I've been pulled over without speeding and with nothing wrong with my car? Zero. The difference between that black senator's experience with policemen and my experience with policemen is not random. It's also not just. Suspicion that isn't deserved is unjustified suspicion. And ill treatment that isn't deserved is unjust treatment. But we need to be very careful here. Since most of us aren't even slightly acquainted with the daily realities faced by police in the big cities of America, we need to be very careful not to oversimplify the reasons that disparities like the one I just described exist. In the same interview in which Senator Scott spoke of being pulled over seven times in one year, he also, in a very reasoned voice, spoke of the exceedingly complex tensions faced by police departments working in minority communities with very high violent crime rates, the same communities in which most fatal shootings of police occur. At the same time, since most of us aren't even slightly acquainted with the daily realities faced by African Americans and other minorities in inner city America or even in suburban America, we need to be very careful not to oversimplify the reasons for the outcry in black communities against police abuses. We should hold our elected officials responsible to implement reasonable safeguards both against unjust actions by policemen and unjust actions toward policemen. It seems to me that when the technology to record video and audio of every traffic stop and every police encounter with citizens from beginning to end is both available and affordable, that technology should be implemented without exception and without discretion. It provides at least some level of protection against false accusation for both the citizen and the officer. And it also goes a long way toward keeping the behavior of both parties honorable. Now, if you thought I was going to spend the rest of this message talking about such pragmatic concerns, this is where things shift. As the representatives of Christ, we should care very much about those kinds of things. We should pursue justness in our society with our vote, with our political advocacy, with letters to our congressmen and senators, with whatever resources are available to us. But beloved, we must do so knowing full well that we will not succeed in making our culture just and righteous. That is not and never was our mission. Men will not solve the problems created by men. There is a far more destructive crisis going on here than any, main, any of the mainstream media will ever mention or even notice. And it is the crisis that occurs when unjust sinners get really, really angry about the actions of other unjust sinners. How many of you sitting here today have never misjudged another person's motives or intentions. 
How many of you have never made a negative assumption about another person based on previous experience with other people who have something in common with that person? Every single time that we think badly of another person or treat another person badly based on assumptions instead of reality, we are committing an injustice. God hates injustice. So should we who were created as and recreated to be His image bearers. But something very problematic happens when our anger against injustice conveniently ignores our own injustice. In his book, Religious Affections, Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, A true Christian may be concerned about the condition of another's heart, but at the same time, he is not apt to be as worried about the, about the badness of anybody's heart as much as he is his own. After all, he can see his own heart most clearly. He goes on to say, false zeal is against the sins of others, but he that has true zeal exercises it chiefly against his own sins. As redeemed image bearers of our perfectly just God, you and I should care more about injustice than our culture does. But the injustice that should be of greatest concern to us is the injustice in our own hearts. When it is, our supposedly righteous indignation over the injustices of others starts to look not so righteous. At that point, we begin to see things far more accurately and to respond far more rightly. This is precisely why we cannot look to man to fix any of this. Unjust people can't fix injustice. If all we have to add to this mix is our own loud, angry voices, to the, all the noise of all the other loud, angry voices. If the best we have to offer is to lament how terrible it is for people to treat each other this way and to demand with furrowed brows and pointed fingers that everyone stop doing evil, unjust things and start doing good, just things, we will be completely useless to God. We'll be demanding that people do what no human being is capable of doing, including us. The world must not see in us the same anger and fear and bitterness that characterizes those whose trust is in men. I'm going to read something I read to you last week from Isaiah 51. And there's a phrase here in the first part that says, Who are you? And it transplant, you can transplant it to each of the other parts of this, this passage. In Isaiah 51, verses 12 and 13. Listen. God says, I, even I, am He who comforts you. Who are you that you were afraid of man who dies? And the Son of Man who is made like grass. Who are you that you have forgotten the Lord your Maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? Who are you that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as He makes ready to destroy? But where is the fury of the oppressor? 
I've been talking thus far about what we should not do, what we don't have to offer. Let's talk about what we do have to offer. What good are we in all this? And by we, I mean we, the redeemed people of God. I believe there are two parts to God's answer. The first is about our behavior, and the second is about our proclamation. The first is about honoring Christ with our lives, and the second is about honoring Christ with our lips. First, our behavior. How must we respond when we are treated unjustly? Peter addressed that question head on in 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 23. We've seen it recently, but let's look at it again. Peter says, For you have been called for this very purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was there any deceit in His mouth. And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. We respond as the children of God to unjust treatment, not by freaking out, not by demanding justice here and now, not by railing against our oppressors, but by trusting Him who always judges justly. If you're not sure what that looks like, Go back and spend some time in First Peter. He breaks it down to various different relationships and, and contexts. And he lays out the assignment very directly, very thoroughly. Beloved, if your response when you are treated unjustly looks anything like the world's response, you're getting it wrong. Christ's response to the, the grievous injustice Injustice directed toward him all the way to the point of his death on a cross. His response was revolutionary. In fact, it wasn't a response. It was a predetermined course of actions. Our approach when we are treated unjustly must be revolutionary. If it isn't, it's not the right response. First, our lives must imitate Christ, and then our lips must proclaim Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have been entrusted with the only real solution for this mess. And that solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we have to agree with God that our impact on this world will happen one soul at a time. In 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter declared that God made us His chosen race, His royal priesthood, His holy nation, a people for His own possession, in order that we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. It is through our proclamation of His excellencies that other unjust sinners just like us will be called out of darkness into His marvelous light. That happens one soul at a time. 
That is the solution that we have to offer. And it doesn't come from us. My dear wife went to a huge gathering at Concord Church in South Dallas Friday night. Several very biblically-minded local pastors, whose names you know, addressed that large crowd, along with a few pastors that were maybe a little more liberal. I was very encouraged when Debbie came home and told me what she heard that evening. The strong and repeated message was that the one thing, the one thing that we as Christians can do that will actually make things better is the very thing that Jesus commissioned us to do. To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Whatever else we do in this world, the heart of our God-given mission is to populate and to advance the only just and righteous kingdom that mankind will ever know. And that is the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. We will not do that by trying to patch up the kingdoms of this world that are all going to be destroyed when Jesus returns. We will do that by proclaiming the good news of our Savior and coming King to as many people as we can. How do you get a bigoted inner city cop to stop being irrationally suspicious of all black people, even though he spends most of every day responding to crimes committed overwhelmingly by black people? How do you get a young, law-abiding black man who's been pulled over by policemen seven times in the last year just because he's black to stop resenting cops even though they're going to keep pulling him over? The answer is, you don't. God does. And He does by taking hearts of stone that are filled with with self-protective fear and frustration and anger and replacing them with new remade hearts that are filled with trust in Him and Him alone. He takes men and women who have spent all of their lives convinced that their well-being is determined by what other people do to them or don't do to them, and He brings them to trust in Him as the only one who has anything to do with their well-being. Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. That was mentioned this morning. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through the One, through Jesus Christ who loves us. Overwhelmingly conquer. Does that sound like a threat? It's an amazing promise. The things that threaten us are of no consequence because of Christ. When we stop treating the gospel of Jesus Christ as if it is not what people actually need and instead start proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ as exactly and uniquely what people actually need, we'll get to watch God do those heart transplants through our proclamation. We'll get to see the kingdom of our Lord played out before our eyes one soul at a time. Which police officer is more likely to pull the trigger too quickly in a heated situation? 
the one who who is convinced that what's left of his mortal life on this earth is all he's got? Or the one who knows that his real life, his life of relationship and fellowship with the living God and Jesus Christ is going to go on uninterrupted for eternity when the life of his mortal body ceases? Which young black man is more likely to walk away with his freedom and his physical life intact after being treated unjustly by a policeman? The young man who believes his whole life has been a series of victimizations at the hands of people more powerful and more evil than himself? Or the young man who knows that he is a sinner just as deserving of hell as the unjust cop who's in his face? A sinner, that he is a sinner who has been graciously forgiven by God and given eternal life, destined to spend that eternity in the kingdom where only justice and righteousness rule. Here's the more important question. Which young black man will live even if his body dies at the hand of an unjust police officer? Which policeman will live even if his body dies at the hands of an out-of-control gunman? Which young black man and which policeman has nothing to fear from unjust men because his real life is held in the hands of his Savior and Lord? Brothers and sisters, the gospel that we bear to this lost and dying world is exactly and uniquely what men and women and children need. It's not part of the solution for injustice. It's the only solution for injustice. Everything else is just a band-aid. Jesus is the cure. God calls us to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. That call must not be construed as a commission to make our society just and merciful. Jesus could have accomplished that with no more than a word while he was here. He didn't. But he will. How? How will he? One one soul at a time. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 11 that He came from heaven to earth to seek and save the lost. And until He returns, beloved, we are here to do just that on His behalf. To seek and save the lost. Every soul that God adds to His kingdom through our witness of Jesus Christ will soon, very soon, put all the injustices of this cursed world in the rearview mirror and never see them again. In Isaiah chapter 9, God says this, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. For a child will be born to us. 
a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it in justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Beloved, that's the solution for injustice. And it's the only solution for injustice. Spreading that kingdom one soul at a time is why we are still here. At this point, I'm going to ask some of the men to come up one at a time to the floor podiums and to pray. And my request is that our prayers will not focus on the band-aids, but on the solution. Please do not worry about whether your words are as eloquent as somebody else's. Brothers, just come up and pray from the heart and talk to God. We have fallen short to your glory. Who can rescue us from this wicked body of ours? It is to you, Lord Jesus. We ask, Father God, that you lay your hands upon us all. We are not worthy, but we need you, Lord. Only you can cleanse us completely, Lord. You are the one that, that equips us, Lord God. And do we always read your word? Forgive us. Do we always talk about your righteousness? Forgive us. Do we always walk in victory? But you, Father God, sit your son and you tell us over and over, I love you, I love you, I love you. It is by our testimony, it is by your blood that we walk in faith. We need you, Lord. Father God, we thank you for your love. Let us display it, Lord. In your son, Jesus Christ. Beyond all things. And Father, that man looks at the outward appearance. But God, you look at the inward of the heart. I'm so thankful that when you looked in my heart and you saw my vile, sinful condition, you chose to love. And with so many here, the same thing. You chose to love in spite of our hate toward you. Hate we didn't even know we had until you revealed your love. Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us in your word that we have a calling to take what has been freely given to us and share it with others, to tell them of your grace and your kindness and your love. Help us, Father, because the world is full of prejudice from all sides. And sometimes even in the, the church, there are those who hold different prejudice toward others. Forgive us, Father. Help us to be a shining light of Christ in this dark world. 
You are the hope, the only hope that mankind has. Use us. Use us in our neighborhood. Take us outside of our neighborhood. Help us look for ways and opportunities and not hide behind our embarrassment or our, our feeling that maybe we don't have the gifts or whatever. Maybe we're just too busy. Forgive us. You left heaven and you sought us out. Help us seek the lost. Help our local officials right now that are struggling with how to bring peace. And so often they try to turn to more mechanisms. I pray that instead that those who have influence among them will share the love of Christ with them so that they will understand that only in you do we have real hope. Help us, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Father, you've given us the Great Commission. It's like a command. Just give us your strength, Father, to follow you. Give us your understanding. Give us your spiritual wisdom. That we may always honor and praise you, Lord. That we could continue to do good to reach the gospel to others. Continue to let us to know you better and better, Father, through your word. Strengthen us, Father, in your glorious power. Give us patience and endurance. Stay full of your joy, Lord. We always give you the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be treated as holy by us at CBC. Help us to always remember that you are transcendent above all others. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and set up your kingdom here on earth. But in the meantime, help us to live obedient lives according to your revealed will. Give us this day our daily bread. We recognize that everything we have comes from your hand. We ask you to provide what we need today. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We ask you to forgive our many sins. Help us to be forgiving people, knowing that other sins against us are minuscule in comparison with our sins against you. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know that temptation does not come from you. We are asking you to lead us in paths away from things that are so tempting. Deliver us from the evil that is all around us. Deliver us from any evil that keeps us in chains. May your name always be praised. Amen. Father, we ask for, for courage. Father, I am often afraid of what will happen to me, not even physically, when sharing the gospel, Lord, help us to overcome that by your grace. Put in us a spirit of um, joy that overflows, like David said, my cup overflows in the presence of my enemies. All day long we are surrounded by enemies, Lord, and it's not the outward enemy like our brother prayed. It's 
ourselves, our own flesh. We fight daily against an enemy behind the lines, let alone Satan and his demons who would like nothing better than to keep this nation and world under control, under slavery to sin. Father, we ask for courage to share the gospel with our neighbors, our co-workers. Lord, give us wisdom as well. Lord, and I pray for many workers. You tell us to pray that, Lord Jesus. I pray for many from this church who would go out into the fields that are ready for harvest, Lord. We think this is a bad thing. It is a good thing in an upside-down kind of way. It is terrible that many have perished because of sin, but it is a good thing, as Jesus said. Tell the gospel so that others might not perish in the same way and be separated from you for eternity, Lord. Help us to have that eternal perspective. Help me to do that and forgive me for the times when I am weak in the flesh, Father. So we pray that you would do this in our lives, not of ourselves, not of ourselves, but by the Spirit that your Son has sent to dwell in us. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Father, I come before you a weak man, a, a sinful man only saved by grace. Amongst all of our sinful people saved by grace. Father, you've done such an amazing act. You've done so many amazing things in this world, God. And Father, I thank you that the gospel thrives in unpleasant circumstances. I thank you that when bombs are flying and people are questioning the longevity of their lives, they come to think about you, God. I thank you for allowing these things so that your name be praised and your holy name be glorified amongst those that live on this earth. Father, I thank you for allowing these things. And, and Father, I ask that for the souls of many that live around us, even outside of this church, even across the street, that are dead, Father, that don't know you, I ask that these things may even continue so that people may know you and that they may glorify you, God, as it will. I thank you for what you're doing in this world and what you're doing in America, and I thank you for what you're doing in this church, Father. We love you, and we praise you, and we are unworthy. We bow before you, God. We're unworthy to be called yours. Father, we come before you boldly, and we love you. Help us to love you. Help these weak souls, God. Help us know you and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Dear Father, I want to almost use this opportunity to speak as like a almost a public apology father how many times as i've been working have i passed judgment on others that didn't uh, that didn't deserve it how many times do i fall back on my own self-righteousness into a delusion that i am better than these people are when i when it is truly clear that i am just as deserving of hell as any of these people are how am I using this inflated plastic bag as an airbag when I am about to crash into crash into a wall going 100 miles per hour when clearly the only thing that can save me is the airbag of your grace? Father, help, uh, help me, help us know who you are and realize that Yes, this is a mortal problem, but this is not a problem that we can solve because unjust people cannot uh, do justice. Father, thank you. Thank you for just revealing us, yourself, to you. Because all hell is, all hell really needs to be, is earth without you. 
Dear Father, thank you for loving me so much. Lord, uh, help us to understand your love better. We know you call us to love our neighbor. We know our neighbor is everyone, Lord. And Father, help us to see what a waste it is when we spend our, our mind power thinking about who's right, which side's right, which side's wrong, which side am I on? Are we comparing? Comparing is logic, Lord. Help us to see the, and understand your, your proverbs on reason and your proverbs on logic and uh, help us to understand how opposite that is from, from your love, Lord. Help us to see and not not be distracted with uh, with the logic behind uh, our evaluating things and the situations and trying to decide and think about this versus this. That's that's a form of our merit, and uh, we know we have no merit before you, Lord. And just pray that you'd help us to be better and understand love better, understand how opposite love is from uh, the worldly ways, Lord. Help us to understand that and uh, to love our neighbors more, Lord. In the name of Jesus. And Father, we uh, <clears throat> cannot help, help but think of the uh, the grace that poured out of the people in that church in Carolina when that young white racist stood up in that church that had welcomed him and made him feel at home, and he should, stood up and executed so many of them. And, Lord, we were so overcome by seeing the grace that poured from those people and the forgiveness that they had. And we pray for more of that around us, Father. You, you created that in them. You generated that in them. And we just pray, Lord, that you can generate that in so many of us. And if it can be through us, we ask that you please uh, help us in that, Father. But thank you for their testimony and all it means right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we see in Revelation that in heaven that there'll be people from every nation and from all tribes and all peoples and all languages. And they will be standing around the throne praising you and worshiping you for sending your son Jesus to, to die for them. And so, Father, we, we ask that even here, even now in this church, that there will be a, a unity, there will be a love as we worship you for sending your son Jesus to die for us, and that we will welcome people from every nation, from every tribe, from all peoples and every language into this body as fellow heirs of the grace of the life. Lord, we, we pray your blessings, we pray your work upon our lives, that that you would receive all the glory and honor. In Christ's name, amen. Loving Father, we uh, thank you for this time together. We thank you for the power that you uh, pour out toward us through one another as, as we behold Christ in each other, as we are reminded of the things that matter to you by each other. Lord, you have put us in this together <laughs> and to, to sojourn in this cursed world for a time as your ambassadors, as your army, waging war not by the weapons of the flesh, but by 
spiritual weapons that are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses as we take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would remind us daily, each of us, that you would remind us daily why we're here, that you would remind us what you intend to do through us to call men and women and children out of the darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, we thank you that by your amazing grace you have made us instruments to populate the kingdom that is coming in which righteousness and justice will will dwell, in which there will be one king and one name exalted, and that name will be Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen.